to friends of the faith this morning. Uh, I'm going to be abbreviated this morning as I share, and so I'm just going to wade right in. We've been discussing covenant and that the church, so we've discussed male and female differences. We've discussed some truth of the gospel that we all got to be straight on. We've discussed male and female differences. We've discussed the, the idea, the concept of a covenant marriage. The reason why we've done that, why, why, what does marriage have to do with church unity? Well, actually quite a lot because the church, all of us together, this body of Christ, we are his bride. And Jesus has entered into a covenant with us. And so by studying the very easily relatable covenant between a man and a woman in marriage, it's very easy for us to begin to put our relationship with Jesus in proper context and perspective. And so as we wrap up this sermon series today, I just want to share with you a very short passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 12 through 27. In control room, I may not read all of these passages, but I am going to start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves or free. I'm going to read that part again. Jews and Greeks. Slaves and free. And all. Bump your neighbor and say all. All were made to drink of one spirit for the body does not consist of one member but of many if the foot should say because I am not a hand I don't belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body and if the ear should say because I am not an eye I don't belong to the body that, would, that wouldn't make it any less of the body if the whole body were, were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He has chosen. If all were a single, single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Lord, I ask that you help me to teach and preach. Make me fast and accurate this morning. Lord, we open our hearts to your word that you will form us into the people that you have called us to be. Lord, our desire is to be pleasing in your sight and to create for you a body in which you can dwell. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thank you, Sarah. And so as I've said, we've discussed the con this, these concepts of unity. We've discussed the concept of covenant and that true godly unity is always built and founded on a covenant. And so we've discussed quite a bit covenant. And so this morning I'm going to be touching just briefly on the Christ Church covenant. And so I want to remind you that the reason why this is so important is because the Bible starts with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. And so we live in a time in history where we are and we are becoming the bride of Christ. You know that Jesus is the one who he laid down his life for us. Remember when we were discussing male and female marriage that we said the heart of the marriage covenant says this, all I have I give. And so it doesn't say, if I give a little bit, then you give a little bit, and I might give a little bit more. That's not how a marriage works. That's not how a true covenant works. We also understood that in that covenant context, there's never two, there's always three. So there's me, the husband, there's Holly, my wife, and then who's the third member? God. And he's the one who protects, guides, and ensures the covenant. 
at least when we do our part. God ensures the covenant. And so here's what happens. When you enter into covenant with God as the head of the covenant, God says this, No matter the difficulties that may come your way, I will give you all that you need so that you can give the other one everything they need. And I need to say something to some men in the room, not because I want to beat up on men or be harsh on men, but I do want to say truth to men because I love you. Men were called to go first. And here is what I mean. If you've lived in a marriage covenant or a marriage union, and you both are kind of do the Mexican standoff thing that says, if you give, I'll give a little bit. That is not the way. And so if there's been hurt in the past, then someone will have to go first and say, you know what, you may reject me if I tell you the truth. You may not like it if I try to express love to you. You may not like me when I tell you all the ways that I truly feel deep down in my heart. But guess what? I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to love you, my bride. And she may reject me, but I'm going to keep loving you anyway. Let me, let me say something to you, men. You were built to be the bow of the ship. The bow of the ship is what breaks open the ocean water so the rest of that massive boat can just smooth sailing. I need, to hear, I need some men to hear me that you can't wait on her to break first. You can't wait on her to be tender first. You can't wait on her to love you first. You're supposed to go first. You're built for it. There's grace for you. There's strength for you to do that. How do I know this? Because there was a man named Jesus who when we were lost, when we were stuck in the mud, when we weren't worth loving and we weren't worth saving, what did he say? He said, I'll come and I will become like you. I'll live like you. I'll eat your food. I'll be rejected like you. I'll work in the hot sun just like you. I will do everything just like you and then I'll do the one thing that you can't do for yourself. Jesus said, I was without sin, but y'all are full of it. But here's what I'll do. I love you so much, I'll go first. And I will take on the punishment and the judgment of sin. I'll pay the price for sin to the point that he poured out every last drop of his blood. When he was on the cross and the, the tradition says that the Roman soldier stabbed him through the side with the spear and what came out? The last bit of blood and water. Water flowed because he was all out of blood. That is our bridegroom. That is, this is Old Testament language, that is our husbandman. The reason why men can go first is because we had a man to show us the way named Jesus, that he went first for all of us. When we weren't worth loving, he loved us anyway. He had a perfect life in heaven, but he came to earth to redeem us. He worked with his hands. He had two jobs. He was a carpenter and a preacher. He didn't go to college. Thank you, Lord. I'm thankful for that one every single day. He didn't go to college. He honored his parents. He made sure his mother was cared for even after his death. Anybody identify with these things? He had a vibrant social life. He had a diverse friend group. Jesus was the talk of the town. He treated all women with dignity and respect. So if I'm, I'm going to imagine for a moment that if I'm, the, if I'm the bride and I'm thinking about a potential suitor, what kind of man do I want to enter into covenant with? And so far, Jesus looks like a good person to partner with. Because if I want to know if a man's going to treat me well, I'm going to watch how he treats other women. How does he treat his mama? How does he treat his auntie? I thought I'd have got a little better amen right there from this congregation. How does he speak about the lady who's his manager or his boss? How does he speak about his teachers or his coaches? And so if I apply that logic to Jesus, and I watch how he went out of his way to minister, to forgive and to redeem women who had been broken and lost 
and life had trampled on them, then guess what? If he'll do that for them, he'll do it for me. He is generous. He is patient. He is thorough. I'm going to say that one more time because that one's got a little more weight on it. He is thorough. He's committed and he's considerate. When I was in school, ladies had a thing like they had a list of qualities that they looked for in a man. And it bothers me when I, I know it's internet talk, but it bothers me a lot when you hear so much on the internet that it seems that all ladies want is somebody who's tall and makes six figures. Have you heard? Have you? Some of my boomers may not know this, uh, Gen Z, so just hang on. Ladies say he's got to be six foot, he's got to have a six pack, he's got to make six figures. <laughs> For y'all watching online, somebody over here said, I got one of them. We got to add a fourth six, and he's 60 year old. <laughs> All joking aside, if that's your list, God bless you. May God bless you. Let me ask you a question What does an abusive husband look like? What does a drug addict look like? I'm going to use the Old Testament word on you. What's a whoremonger look like? It ain't just the dude that slept on the sidewalk last night is the one that has experienced some sin in his life. They a lot of folk, white collar, Rolexes, engraving on the cuff, got the diamond cuff link. Got the Porsche in the garage, and they will cheat and steal and lie and treat you terribly. What a poor measuring stick to say that someone got to be six foot and have a six pack and make six figures. Speaking for the rest of the world, they a lot of five foot seven humble white boys that didn't go to college, that they will love you, they will cherish you, they will forgive you when you need it, they'll get up early and go to work and they'll come straight home when they clock out, they'll pay your bills and they'll love your babies. You will say, why are you taking time to say that? Because we like to apply that same 666, I'm saying something, we like to apply that same 666 logic to Jesus. And we want Jesus to come into the world on a white horse like Napoleon Bonaparte and solve everybody's problems in one big whiz bang. We think that Jesus is an F-22 pilot and he's going to shut down all the evil Chinese spy balloons. But guess what? Jesus says, no, that's not how I do things. The scripture says that there was nothing physically attractive about him. But guess what Jesus will do? He'll say, I'll love you. I'll be faithful to you. I'll be committed to you. I'll lay down my life for you. When you're sick, I'll heal you. When you're broke, I will help connect you to the source of supply. I'll give you favor. That means that when all the world rejects you, I'll still say you're my favorite. But now what I won't do. I won't make your bed for you. I won't balance your checkbook for you. I won't wash your car for you. I'm not going to raise your kids for you. I won't call your boss and let them know that you're sick for you. So sometimes we want Jesus to be Santa Claus, and what he really wants to be is a husband. What has he done? He has taught us with his words and with his example. What an integrous bridegroom. His deeds always match his words. That's the kind of man you can trust right there, isn't it? He's paid our debts. Imagine getting married and you bring some debt into the marriage as a single woman and your husband says, I'll pay all your debts. So that no, there's nobody anywhere got your name on an account saying that you owe them money. Because you're mine, baby. I have some good, uh, there's some marital counsel, pre-marital counseling happening in this room right there. He says, I'll pay your debts for you. He bought our lives. Because we entered into sin. Sin is an agreement with Satan. 
that he has access to our life. And here's what he says. If you come in my way, I own you. And Jesus says, yeah, there's a debt of sin on your life. But I'll come and I'll pay the price. I'll buy your life back. There's an actual story in the Old Testament that sums this up. We know that in prostitution and in the sex trade that the men and the people who, who organize that and they run it, the overlords of the sex trade, what do they do to their workers? They own them. So we've all seen the movies and heard the stories where a woman says, I don't want to do this anymore. But who you got to pay? You got to pay her pimp, her handler. Because what's he going to say? No, I own you. Do you want to know something? I'm going to be strong with you. The Bible, this, the Bible says this. We were like prostitutes to sin, to hell, and to death. And every time we tried to break free, our overlord, Satan, said, No, I got you. Because Adam started a covenant with me, but Jesus said this. What do they owe? What's the price? What's the price, Satan, to set them free? And he said, Well, a life for a life. I'm getting that creasy bear coming anointing on me. A life for a life. And Jesus said... I'll pay it. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. They're worth saving to me. I love them so much. It says in Exodus, I have loved you with an everlasting love because I have picked you out for myself as a prize among the nations. I need to let somebody know today, somebody else owns you. But Jesus came into the world to say, I'll buy, I'll pay the ransom of your life. So he bought our lives. He's broken our chains. He's healed our bodies. He's saved our lives. He's redeemed our souls. And for three dark days, when he was in the tomb, there came on the third day that he walked out. And here's what that means. That when Jesus walked out, guess who else walked out of that tomb with him? The ent- Me. I walked out. That was me that walked out of that tomb. When he got up, here's what he was saying. All of the universe was watching saying, Does, is Satan more glorious than Yahweh? Does he have more power than Jehovah? Does the son of the morning, Lucifer, who he loves to sing and put on a big show, does he have more power than Jesus? And for three days, he had me in the first half. For three days, it looked like that sin and death and hell and the grave was going to triumph. But then all of a sudden, that stone, the, the little bit of gravel started moving. And all of a sudden, the stone rolled away. And the whole cosmos was looking at a hole in the ground. And guess what? Here comes Jesus walking out of the tomb. And everybody went, God's got power over sin and hell and death. And that, guess what that means for me and you? The stars and the moon and the trees and the wind and the grass, it all looks and it says, those people have been redeemed. They walked out of the tomb with them. He won the victory and then he gave us the benefit. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. How many know that Jesus is the best? Bump your neighbor and tell him Jesus is the best. Now it's time for real talk. The epitome of pride believes that Christ's perfect love is only for one person or one group. Here's what Paul is saying in our text for the day. My body, your body, is made up of all kinds of parts. Don't you know that my eyes help watch out for my fingers? So imagine a carpenter running a saw the old way. Do you see where my thumb is? Your eye will go, watch out, thumb. The thumb can't see for itself. But the eyeball... The eyeball can look at a piece of brisket and go, I want that. 
He needs a hand to go brisket. <laughs> you feel me? The eye can't feed itself. The hands can get the brisket, but somebody got to do the dirty work. The tongue, the t- this, listen, they have some believers, they're the tongue. Party all the time. Ain't got to do no work except just mash the food down. You know what I'm talking about. They some, they some organs in the body does hard work that nobody sees and we take for granted and they're in there working all the time. You ever, seen, you ever went, man, I just love my lower intestine. My kidney, man, that's a good looking kidney. Nope, ain't never happened. The eye, the hair, the nose, the face. They some men in this church, they work all the time, got big old biceps. They're like, that's a good looking bicep. Ain't nobody went, man, that's a good looking kidney you got on you. <laughs> Someone gave me a piece of premarital advice and they said, before you marry her, get her teeth checked. I was like, like a horse? That's what you do for a horse. You check his teeth. Like a horse? And he said, yeah. If she needs dental work, let her daddy pay for it. <laughs> and he did. What's the point that I'm making? In this body, as you look around this room, there's going to be some people, it looks like, man, they always get the credit. They always got the microphone. I don't know if I like that. I want somebody to see me and appreciate me. Well, guess what? If you're one of the, if you're one of the highline people, don't forget, you need the kidneys and the liver and the stomach and the esophagus. Guess what? You got here today, ten little toes helping hold you upright, and all them little bones in your feet that you ain't what you ain't took good care of them thing in ten years, and they keep going day after day after day. Every now and then, you got to look at your foot and say, "I love you, foot." You've done so good for me. Look at, look at your neighbor and say, you're doing good for me, foot. Thank you for doing so good. And so we cannot allow ourselves to fall into the trap that we don't need the people who are sitting on the seat beside us. When I was a young youth pastor, my dad said this to me, and I'll never forget it. And I, The students I was working with were particularly rambunctious, and they were driving me up the wall nuts one day. And I was really frustrated, and I was telling my dad all about it. And he said, son, you've got to stick with it because you never know who your son's youth pastor is going to be. The light bulb came on. And so I want to say to people in this room, you don't know who might be praying for you to give you the miracle that you're believing for. You don't know who might be your business partner six months from now. You don't know who might bring you a sack of groceries when the pantry gets a little bit thin. And so don't worry about, I'm going to say it, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, don't worry about the color of their skin, don't worry about the, their political affiliation, don't worry about what kind of car they drive, what kind of house they live in, don't worry about where they went to school. I'm going to say that again for all the OU fans. Don't be looking down... Uh, don't be looking down on the OU boys. And OU boys, don't be looking down on the OSU boys because God is bigger than all of that. And how can the ear say to the eye, I ain't like you, so I ain't going with you? We all need each other. And I want to say something to this church that if we start cutting off parts of our body that we don't like, here's what we become. We, at first, we become a freak. What we become next is handicapped. I'm about to give you some strong medicine right here. The reason why the church is so handicapped, the reason why the church is so handicapped is because we like all the eyeballs to get together. And we feel like that if we match, then we have unity. Then we have function. And that's a lie. If we get all the ears together, ears love to hang out with ears, right? We can all hear, we can hear all kinds of things, but you ain't got a mouth that can say it. You ain't got no legs to get you up off of your rumpus and move you down the street and to say all the things that you've been hearing. We need each other. And so I need this church to hear me say something. There's been church drama that will split a, split a church and kill it. We can argue over the music. We can argue over the paint. We can argue over do we need pews or do we need stadium seating. Do we paint the parking lot? Do we not paint the parking lot? We can argue and argue and argue, and those things, they can and they will kill a church. But now you hear what I'm about to say. Independent spirits 
have killed more churches than anything else in the world. What in the world is an independent spirit? That's an attitude that you have that you think you know best and your way is the only way. That is good preaching. And so we have a problem in the body of Christ where we like to get on the internet and we watch maybe, maybe 15 seconds of some other guy who he's got four times as much money as the, this guy and we say, oh, I like him. That's called internet dating. So we come in the body of Christ and we say, I don't like it when these young kids go on Tinder. I'm preaching so good. We don't like it when young kids go on Tinder and they look at one photoshopped picture and go, oh, I think I'll sleep with you. Swipe. We say that's sinful and that's wrong. We've been doing that in the body of Christ for 25 years because we'll go on TV and watch a controlled environment, a controlled picture, a photoshopped setting, a photoshopped picture, an edited sound mix, and we look at all that and go, oh, I like that. I think I'll let that be my pastor. I like that word. Why can't, why? And so we come to this house and say, why don't you look like that guy down there? Why don't you act like that girl down there? And that's not the way. And so if we want to look at young people and say, you need to quit swiping Tinder and let Jesus be Lord of your life and let him put you with the mate that you need, we need to come to the body of Christ, to this house and say, Jesus, you are our great shepherd. I submit my wants, my desires, and my needs to you and let you put me and connect me with people that you have for me. That is some good, heavy preaching right there. And so here's what that means. The fingers have to trust the head. The head has to trust the feet. And here's what that means is that some days we're not going to sing the songs that you like. But you have to trust that that's still the song for me. And so if they sing that one that I don't like, guess what? I'm going to sing it with as much zeal and passion as I do my favorite one. And I like, I like it when pastor preaches about this topic. Well, that means I have to be just as excited when he preaches about this other topic I don't like so much. I've learned this about church. It's usually the sermons you don't like that's usually the ones you need. And that's just for me. I don't know about you, but that's been my life. When the preacher's making me mad, usually when I go preach, God's looking at me like, okay. When you're done having your temper tantrum, I'll get back to changing your life. That means that you can't look at people who are Republicans and go, I'm not going to sit with you. I'm not going to worship with you. I'm not going to give to you. You can't look at people who vote Democrat and go, oh, I'm not hanging out with you. You're the epitome of evil. Get, let me let you in on a secret. The systems of men are all broken and flawed. If there's any hope for any of it to work, there better be somebody come to the house of God and be connected to Him and living in covenant with Him and living in covenant with His people so that you might have something to take to you back into those broken systems. And so I want to be very, very clear. When the next election cycle comes around in this church, this pastor is never going to tell you how to vote. Number one, that's not my realm. I'm doing business in a whole other arena. I will say this. You will give an account to the Lord for your actions and for your words. Choose wisely. You say, I need a little more guidance than that. And I, that's true. You can never go wrong following, vocalizing, and aligning your life with God's scripture never because why this is what the scripture says heaven and earth will pass away but not one word of my word will fail to be so when you go to the when you go to the, the voting booth when you go into the ballot box and you say I don't know how I feel about this my suggestion to you go to your scripture Go to your prayer closet and say, God, I have the opportunity through my one little vote to make a difference. God, use me. Speak to me. God, show me the way. Not my preferences, 
Not my favorite, not my tradition, but God, what do you say? Jesus, what's your heart? Jesus, what does your word say? What does the theme of your gospel say, Jesus? And if I follow that, you'll never go wrong. So when the election cycle comes, this house is not a platform for politics. This platform is for one thing and one thing only. It's for this. It's for this. So please don't ask me to support your party or your project because I will not. Because if my words are to have any effect or integrity, they need to be this. You can put a sign in your yard if you want to. I'm not going to judge you. Your property, your home, that's you. This I'm responsible for. And I want it to look like this, sound like this, sing about this, pray this, and talk about this as much as possible. When it comes to the social issues of our day, and there are many, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. Now, I know a lot about Scripture, and I work really hard. I really do. My wife will attest that I work hard to study and to understand Scripture so that I can speak clearly about what the Scripture tells us when it comes to the social issues of our day. I do not, and I will never, subscribe to narrative. I encourage you to do the same. Narrative is a very specifically constructed sentence and context to lead people to a certain point. I don't subscribe to narrative. I subscribe to truth. And that most of what is true today will not be true 30 years from now. I would have believed there would have been some baby boomers give me a little better amen right there because there were some things we had going in the 80s and 90s and we're like, man, we have arrived and we look around in 23 and we're going, we have not arrived. And what was true economically, what was true politically, what was true militarily is not true anymore. I need to say something to this congregation. See, I'm saying some heavy things and I know that it's time for me to move on. But I need to be very clear because what the Lord told me is I want you to secure your congregation before the next election cycle. We have lived, thought, and spoke as Americans our whole lives because we have ruled the world through military and economic dominance. That means that it don't matter who owns our debt, who's going to come collect it. Let me suggest you some ideas. We've been worried running around in a panic the past few months, worried that Russia might nuke us. I want to say this, there's only been one country ever drop an atomic bomb on a population center in the world. And it was us. It wasn't the Russians, it wasn't the Japs, it was us. So before we throw a rock, we need to look in the mirror. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to the Senate hearings lately, but here's the narrative in Washington right now. We're not the military superior force in the world anymore. China got more boats, they got more planes, they got more nukes, they got more satellites, they got more everything. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to live our lives in fear? <laughs> no. How do you think the Christians felt? How do you think the Jews felt their whole life, the people who believed in this Yahweh God? My hope doesn't lie in bullets and bombs and missiles. My hope lies in Jesus and so I'm leading this, I want to lead this congregation to a place that many difficult things will come in life, but this right here will always keep you and guide you. The scripture says in Isaiah, arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness will cover the people. Let me say it again. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you. And his glory will be seen upon you. 
Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I've been praying this passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 60 all week over this congregation. Because when we see darkness in the world and when we see darkness all over people, what is our hope and what is our answer? That the light and the glory of God will rest upon us. And if we are going to have that, we can't let somebody else or something else or some other idea be our God. God will have to be God. And on this, I seek to be, and I ask God to use me every day to be unflinching and uncompromising that God will be our light and be our glory. Does that feel all right? Love in a relationship is clarity. And you have clarity through communication. And here's something I've learned about clarity. Clarity is much more effective on the front end. If you wait until there's a problem to try to figure out how will we respond, it's going to get muddy, probably bloody. But if you're clear before the problem comes, it will save you much heartache down the road. I don't know if anybody who's ever had a child can help me testify that if you tell Bobby before you get to the party, Bobby, you're not going to Jimmy's house after the party. So don't ask me. What's going to happen? Daddy, can we go? Can I go to Jimmy's? Son, I already told you no. If you wait until they ask, what happens? You're embarrassed, there's drama, there's meltdown, there's tears, and it looks like daddy is just mean. But when you say it on the front end, Bobby feels the security that my dad was thinking out in front of me. My dad sees, he knows, he's been thinking about my life, even if he doesn't give me what I want. I want to say this to this congregation. My desire today in being so forthright and some of the things that I'm describing that I know they're not popular, I know it's not common, and I, I know it's not comfortable. If you think you're uncomfortable, imagine being me. But I love you enough to give clarity and communication before issues arise down the road that this and this campus, this is a house of God, built for God. God is helping pay for it, bless the Lord. And guess what? We are the people of God that when we come on this campus and especially when we come into this holy room, I lay down my race, my culture, my tradition, my preference, and I lay it down on the altar. And I say, Jesus, make me into the man and the woman that you would have me be. And here's what we will find. The best white man in the world is a saved and redeemed one who is humble. The best brown man is a man who's been saved and redeemed and is humble about it. The best red man and yellow man is what? A man who's been saved and redeemed and is humble about it. The best kind of black man is what? A man who's saved and redeemed and he's humble about it. And so here's what we'll find is that if we become those kinds of people, we can celebrate the white boy with his cornbread and overalls. I know that's a stereotype. And we can celebrate everyone else on the spectrum for this is who God has made them to be. This is why they are the way that they are. Guess what? Some of the white folk in the room, stiff as a board. And that's okay. When you feel the presence and a tear rolls down, and your hands go like this, they might be deep in the presence. God might be doing big things in their life. There might be a brother like Thomas, who I don't actually know where he sits. But guess what? I'm going to let him run and let him shout. Because that's his worship to the Lord. And if the other guy's being still, I'm not going to be like, wake up and get on with it. Why? Because that's his worship to the Lord. And it's all holy. Does that feel all right? So when the world tries to divide us, here is my strong admonition and encouragement. Don't bring division to God's house. 
I have watched it my whole life. Yes, sir. People who sow division in God's house, it never ends well for them. This house and this covenanted body of believers is holy to God. We are God's bride. And even if from within that body it tries to cause dysfunction, do you know what happens? What happens in your body when a growth happens in your body? It steals the energy and it steals the resources, but it's not bringing life to the rest of the body. You know what we call that? Cancer. What do you do with cancer? You cut it out. I know that's strong. When you bring division into God's house, what are you saying? It has to be my way. It has to be what? This is what I think. This is what I want. How can he use them? Because they do da-da-da-da-da. Guess what happened? God starts looking and he gives you time. He gives you opportunity. But there will come a point where God will say, if you don't make this right, I'm going to have to cut you out. It's all in the Bible. I love you enough to tell you the truth. So please don't bring division to God's house. And that at the gate church, we will always do our best to follow the word of God. We will stumble. We will mess up. I will and you will. But that's why there's this beautiful thing right here called an altar. And you bring, I'll bring mine, you bring yours. Our failure, our mess ups, our misunderstandings, the things I ought not have said it that way or whatever. And we bring it to the altar and we say, God, wash us, cleanse us and forgive us. And that is what? will keep us. And my last and final point as we close today is that one thing we will not debate. We will not become confused about what is clear in God's Word. Some things are not as clear as others. Some things are crystal clear and we will never debate what is clear in God's Word. And so I know that some of this is difficult. Probably not going to be the top 10 all-time favorite sermon at the Gate Church. But I feel that we must set a tone and context for who we are going to be as God's people. There's some people in the room that, as we've walked with the Lord for many years, we've fallen into one of the greatest traps and sins, and that is that we become familiar with God's house and God's people. And we've become familiar with our bridegroom, Jesus. We've sang his songs and read his word and prayed his prayers. And we've turned Jesus just back into a guy, some dude, some good teacher or our buddy. But I want to remind you of something. That Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is our elder brother. He is our savior and our redeemer. He's our husbandman. But he is also Lord of all and he is king of kings and so he'll get in the mud hole with you and put his arm around you but then there's also another time he puts on his crown and he buckles on his sword belt and he says time to set things right and so for some of us and we grapple with some of these things even that I've said today we say I don't know how I feel about that that's a tough one I want to remember I want us to remember something as the body don't lose our first love and don't become trapped in routine when times get hard and when we lose our way when the nations are raging around us it's good to remember how grateful you were that he found you and when the pantry becomes a little skinny it's good to remember how He has always met our needs. When we become despondent, even in our own marriages, it's good to remember how grateful you were when God first brought that wife into your life. When our teenagers are difficult and rebelling and we're having to run them down after dark and bail them out of jail and all the other things that we have to do sometimes, it's good for us to remember how we wept when we held them in our arms. And we called them a miracle and a gift from God. When you get aggravated with the people who are sitting on the seat beside you, it's good to remember how you felt when you were rough around the edges and you first came in and you looked around and said, I can't believe I get to worship with these kind of people. 
You remember when you came to church and you looked around and went, these are good people. They, they stand married and they're kind to each other and they got a little money in their pocket. These are good people. It's good to remember when we were grateful for brothers and sisters. If we become stagnant in our worship, or if you find yourself judging someone who's expressive, it's good for you to remember how you ran down to the altar with tears and snot and mascara running down your face saying, God, if you can do anything in my life, if you can use anybody, God, please use me. For the people who are stiff, it's good to move around every now and then. It won't hurt you to dance a little bit. There ain't nobody in here can dance good. So we're all the same in that regard, and I'm the worst in the room. It's all right for you to move every now and then. And then for some of us, it's good to be still every now and then. And remember that intimacy happens when you're close and still looking at each other eye in the eye, whispering. Some of us need to remember that Jesus has given us everything we have ever wanted. But now he can't get me to come to church two weeks in a row. We all need to remember that my life is his. My marriage is his. My home is his. My ability to work is from him. The talents that I have, he give them to me. Sorry, I'm being a little country. The talents that I have, He gave them to me. The gifts that I have, He gave them to me. The anointings that we have on our lives, He gave them to us. And so if we forget who is our husbandman, who is the lover of our soul, the best thing we can do is what? Repent. Sometimes repentance is not because you're deep in gross sin. It's because I want to return and reconnect to who God has asked me to be and who He is in my life. So wherever you're at, please don't stand. I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around, please. If you're in here today and you say this, Lord, there's some things about this were very challenging to me. I need you to help me. If you've been listening to me saying, you know what, sometimes I get more worried about who's on the seat than who's in the room. Or you say, Lord, I've just forgotten sometimes. I've not been taken for granted. I've not been grateful how I should. If any of those three things are you, no one's judging you, no one's looking around, I just want you to wave at me. If that's you and you say, you know what, God, I need you to touch me. I've, I've struggled at times. I've forgotten at times. I see hands, 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 hands. Don't you be ashamed. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, forgive me where I have become distracted by the things of life. But God, today, I want to return to you, return to your word. I want to run back into the arms of my husbandman. Lord Jesus, we want you here at the Gate Church to be our bridegroom, to be our protector, our provider. But Lord, also the one who helps show us the way who shows us what is right and what is wrong. Lord Jesus, we need and we want you to be that to us today. Now we can all pray this together. If you will, pray along with me. Lord, we consecrate this house. And Lord, I consecrate myself as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus. Lord, we consecrate this holy union of church. Lord, we consecrate it to you. Lord, we see that your blood is what paid the price, and it's the power that makes a way. And so, Lord, we say this, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And, Lord, we consecrate this holy room, this holy building, this holy campus, and we say this is a place where the people of God can worship in unity. We can sing and dance in unity. And that different race and different political agenda, different past struggle, Lord, we all come together at the foot of the cross right here at 7700, this little place called the Gate Church. Now, can with some hand clapping and waving of hands, can I see, is there anybody who's grateful today for the house of God and the people of God? Is there anybody who's grateful for the life and liberty that comes from being one of His? 
Holly and I love you. Our team loves you. God loves you, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Go today and be blessed in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for being such a tremendous audience today. We love you all. Have a great day. Welcome online, Geek Church family. We are so happy to have you here with us again today. What a day. You know, Pastor Jordan talked about our first love. We, want, we, we pray that you are encouraged today to go back to your first love because that is the place where God can bring unity in our lives and can bring clarity in our lives. And maybe you say, first love, I have no idea what it is. That moment when you accepted Christ in your life and he embraced you and you started to be able to, to think clearly and see clearly. We believe that this week will be a week for you of going back to your first love or experiencing the, the same first love that we experienced where Jesus accepted you and he embraced you. We pray for peace in your home and that unity will come in your life and will come in your house, at work, wherever you are, that the cry out from your heart to God to bring new life will be answered. We speak blessing over you. We say have a great week. If you need anything, please reach out through us, to us through the guide. Email us, text us, call us, and so that we can be part of whatever you are in need for. We thank you for being with us. Hope to see you again next week. And remember, we love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great week.